Welcome to the Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. This series is brought to you by the UMass Office of Equity and Inclusion and features members of the university community and other experts in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In these episodes, we'll learn about the work and experiences of our guests and gain insight from their expertise. Your host for this podcast is Dr. Nefertiti Walker, Interim Vice Chancellor of Equity and Inclusion and Professor of Sport Management in the Eisenberg School of Management. And now, here's Neff. All right, welcome back to Dignity, Respect, and Action, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Neff Walker. It is great to be here today. We are back this week after a brief hiatus and very excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Linda Ziegenbein. Dr. Ziegenbein is the interim director of the College of Natural Sciences Office of Student Success and Diversity, as well as a lecturer and anthropology department here at UMass. She's an outspoken advocate for anti-racism in STEM education and was central to organizing this showing up with Asian and Asian American folks, the virtual community discussion at UMass in response to the deadly Atlanta shootings that targeted Asian American women in their workplaces and underscored the impact that the anti-Asian hate has had on our community. Dr. Ziegenbein, so happy to have you to the pod. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me here. Absolutely. So I like to get things going by asking folks a little bit about themselves, um, your relationship to the UMass community, what do you do here, who are you, um, and a little bit of your path as to how you arrived at UMass. Oh my goodness. Well, I've been here at the university for a very long time. It's been um, almost 17 years now. So I, and I've worn, I've been, I've played lots of different roles. I came here to get my PhD in the anthropology department. And so most of the 17 years was spent in graduate school, of course, because graduate school sucks up a lot of time. Um, And so I was a graduate student. um, And then after I graduated, I started working as an advisor for the sociology department. And from there went to, um, I was an academic and diversity advisor for the Office of Student Success and Diversity. And then Mm -hmm. for the last year and a half, I've been working as as the interim director. Um, So, and that's that the tenure is is winding down. Thankfully, it's been been a long year and a half, but it's been great work. Yeah, and we appreciate the work that you've done. So yes, you said it, the, the time is winding down. So what else do you do besides these administrative roles? What else do you do on campus? So I do a lot. So, uh, you know, a, a big part of my identity as an academic um, has always been sort of predicated on who I am as a person, you know, mm-hmm. which means I was a first generation college student. I was a low income student. You know, I'm the daughter of an immigrant. My mother's from Taiwan. Um, and it was, and, and one of the things I thought about a lot is when I was an undergraduate, I felt like I didn't share those things, right? Like, I don't know. And I assumed that everybody, that no one around me shared those identities, right? Um, so that yeah. they, you know, it, it, and when I reflect back as an undergrad and I think of the professors I had, right? Even you know, some I've kept in contact with, and I know that some of them were first-generation students, but I didn't know this. I assumed that everybody was the child of a professor or a professional at the very least, right? And, um, and even if I shared it, it was one where it was maybe tolerated, right? Like it made people feel uncomfortable. Like if you talk about how your family is poor, like nobody wants to talk about that. Like it just makes yeah. things real weird in the U.S. Um, 
And, you know, and, and so a lot of what I've done, a lot of the way I've oriented my work when I was in anthropology and, you know, going to graduate school was, so how do we reach out to people like the people in my family, right? Where, <sighs> like, how do I engage those people in research and in, in higher ed? And I've kind of kept that as I've transitioned into this more administrative role. And a big part mm -hmm. of it is um, how do I have, like, how do we celebrate the fullness of our students, right? How do I use this position to really like say, it's not just, oh, we'll accept you if you're a low-income student, we'll accept you if your parents didn't graduate from college, we'll accept you if you're a student of color, but really to be like, no, like those are all things that enrich our community. Like we are better because you are here. And, yeah. um, and, and one of the things I like to say is that I think students should have student-sized problems, right? Which means it should be, you know, their problems should be things like, why did I take so many classes? Did I study for this exam? You know, I've been invited to go out to this party, but I have a big assignment due. What do I do? Or as I like to share with my students, don't, you know, the, the thing I found myself in, which was, you know, I signed up for this class so I could be with my boyfriend and he broke up with me in the middle of the semester. <laughs> How do I keep going to class? Like, but those are all student-sized problems, right? Yeah. Problems that aren't those are not student-sized problems. So like, am I safe? Am I welcome mm -hmm. here? Is, is my teacher, um, is, am I being, you know, am I dealing with racism, misogyny? Mm -hmm. um, you know, am I dealing, you know, is this a place where I am not celebrated? Um, do I have enough to eat? Do I know where I'm going to sleep? those aren't student-sized problems. Those, yeah. and those then become institutional problems, right? Yeah. And so the way I use my role and the roles that I've been in is to advocate for students in those positions <laughs> and to really sort of push the university towards, um, to do whatever I can to kind of push the university towards how do we support these students, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, students are dealing with food insecurity. What do we do, right? It's, we shouldn't just say it is okay that some students you know, don't get enough to eat. It isn't, it shouldn't be okay that some students are worried where they're sleeping because, you know, the university, like we're, like our university is evaluated on our effectiveness in graduating students. Yeah. And what I know is that hungry students can't learn. Students who are sleeping in their car, they can't pass their classes. And so, you know, I want those students to be out doing the good work that I know that they can do after they graduate. But I think as an institution, we want those students to graduate because that's going to impact the way we're evaluated. Yeah. Right. But it's so, you know, so I do work where I, the, um, I'm the faculty advisor for the first generation low income partnership. It's a student organization that I worked with some students to create. Um, I'm very proud to say that the food pantry on campus was actually, and it originated out of a, uh, a brainstorming session that was in one of the classes I had where I talked about my frustration that the university did not have a food pantry. And yeah. one of my students came up and said, you know, my fraternity has, um, like we, we are a service focus and I think that we could pilot it. I think we could start something small and we could do it. And by the end of that semester, they had a committee in place and the next semester that food pantry is in place. Like those are all amazing. that are, like I just have, tremendous, a tremendous amount of pride in the work that the students done, you know, the students do. Um, the Racial yeah, Justice yeah. Coalition, one of the organizations that, uh, that formed last summer, like a lot mm -hmm. of the students are in STEM, like a lot of those are science students, right? And that is, you know, just being able to work with them, my students and to, you know, to say, you know, these are all ways in which they say, these are things that are important to me. And this is, and uh, I get to work with them to sort of bring those passions and those interests to, to improve our campus community because they're going to take those skills after they graduate and they're going to work to improve the world, 
right? Absolutely. And that's, I, and that's what I want. Absolutely. Wow, you said so much that I, no, I, I, would, I would love, no, no, in a, in a very, in the best of ways um, that I would like to elaborate on. And I always have, you know, my list of questions that I would like to get to too, as well. But I think it's really important to go back to what you said when you mentioned student size problems, right? Because at least in our office, in OEI, the Office of Equity and Inclusion, um, when we speak to students, it's often not about student size problems. They're often coming to us about structural, institutional, systemic problems that they're dealing with, whether that be ableism, racism, sexism, on and on, right? Like they're, they're talking to us about these issues that are deeply rooted in our, our culture. Yeah. And that's impacting their ability to thrive, to yeah. have a good experience on campus, right? And that manifests in so many different ways, but at the root of it is that they are not having a good experience in some capacity because of um, these systemic issues that, that we have on our campus. And it, we're not unique, it's happening all over the country um, on all, all campuses, right? Yeah. Um, how have you been able to support students in a way that relieves them of that of that duty because oftentimes when students come to us it's a duty like they feel passionate because it's impacting them and even if it's not impacting them it's impacting a friend or someone that they know of they still feel a sense of duty mm -hmm. to see this change through and to change something and that's you know rjc for instance racial justice coalition they felt a sense of duty yeah. and that's what i love about students right and i'm like give us that duty and let us go do the work that we're paid quite honestly to do. Yeah. yeah but yeah. there's, there's this aspect of trust, right? And they're like, well, you know, you, sh you should have corrected this before. Why am I having to bring it to you? So how do you navigate relieving students of this really, really big job that a lot of them are trying to carry forward? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that I so much alleviate work to alleviate it as like say yeah. that i can work with them right that these mm -hmm. are things and i'll say to them directly like this isn't your job right and and yeah. your job is to be a student like in all honesty yeah. it is it doesn't serve any of us well to have you spend six years here trying to figure this out like i i want you to be out and graduated and doing good things in your life right? absolutely because you'll continue this work right? i mean these students are going to leave and all of a sudden they're not going to care about racism like they're not going to care about these issues um and so you know my stance really is one where if a student comes and they have an issue i'll say like how can we figure this out together what can i do and then i really try to i really try to show up like in a very <laughs> real way so it's not like i offer a sympathetic ear right i've learned to say you know do you want to vent or would you like my advice right yeah. and if they say i want your advice then i'll give it and when i'm in spaces like i'm very happy to bring student issues um, into the spaces I'm in, even if it makes people feel a little uncomfortable, right? Even if it kind of can, you know, even even if I have like some concerns about like the ramifications, because I think it's important. I think <laughs> because I think for some of the students, what you find is for some it is this brand new thing that they've come. They have this incredible passion. If one of the things I love about working with students is, you know, and Dr. Shabazz talked about this. They talk. They have the fierce urgency of now, right? Yeah. They've got it figured out. They need. They want it implemented tomorrow, yeah. right? And we are a huge bureaucracy, and it and it, tomorrow not going to happen. Like in all honesty, like it cannot. You know. And so yeah. one of the things I try to do is say to them. Here's my understanding of the structure, right? I'm a social scientist, right? So here's my understanding of the bureaucratic structure. These are the ways in which you can work around them. 
right? So for instance, the food pantry, right? But I knew the university for five or six years had a working group where they were talking about, you know, instituting it and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. <laughs> and I brought this to the students and that, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing now that I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but I don't care. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that with the students that I can do it through the fraternity, we can just get this without having to yeah. go through like the universities. And what I said was, if it's really successful, what's going to happen is the university is going to, is going to take, Absolutely. Over, you know, Absolutely. And, and so I try to give them those things, right? So this is what you want to do here is what I know about how we can, how we can get this place. And sometimes what I say is it's not going to happen. Right. So yeah. for instance, if a student comes and, you know, we'll talk like putting aside, like, you know, races, like student comes and says, I don't like this professor. They're terrible. And, you know, uh-huh. they'll say, Oh, and there's a rumor that they're going to fire them because they're a really bad professor. And we're all going to, and my friends are going to put a bad evaluation. And I know at the end of the semester, they'll fire this person because they're too hard and I don't like them. You know, and I'll say, that's not happening. <laughs> like, and I'll, like, I'll say, you know, yes, please, definitely. And, and I'll talk to them. Okay, what are your concerns? Let's talk about how you can sort of, how you can word your evaluation in a way that they hear it and yeah. that it's paid attention to. Because yeah. as someone who has had students who love me, who said like Linda should teach every class and students who've said she needs to be fired. Like I know that there are, that those comments just get chucked, right? Nobody pays attention to those. And so it's okay. What is, what is your, you know, what is sort of the, the large issue? How can we frame this? And, you know, so before students go into spaces, sometimes I will say, you know, I will often say, do you want to meet so I can talk to you about like how you might want to present this so that the people can hear it. Right. So it's really coaching, but it really is. How can I help you? Right. And I think that's, I was just going to say, I think that's fantastic. Right. Because framing it, it's actually helpful to the faculty member as well. If the student is able to um, specifically articulate why that faculty member sucks to keep it simple right like yeah you know because saying that neff sucks as a professor is good for me to know that you feel that way but it's not very instructive to how i might be able to better meet your needs right um so i I love the fact that students feel like they can come to you and you can really walk them through that process because it's important for both them to articulate that but also for faculty to be able to get something um, instructive from what the students are saying Yes. Yeah. And, and I also have to say, you know, one of the things I do too, is I will, you know, I'll, when, when students come and talk, I'll say, you know, I, I want to preface this by telling you that there's really good research that says that women and women of color tend to get worse evaluations. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's first talk about that. Let's talk about like these biases that may be at play, you know, because if you think that this female professor is mean, well, why is it that you think she's mean? Is it because yeah. she really is mean and inflexible or is it because you have what we all have, our internalized misogyny, and you're assuming that she should be accommodating because she's a woman or because she's yeah. a mother? Um, yeah. And you know, and and so like I I sort of in this between stage of like trying to, you know, a lot of what I'm doing right now is saying yes, everybody is fully busy right now. I understand you wrote your your professor yesterday and they haven't written back. Um, but we're all swamped in work and we're all doing the best we can. The pandemic grace goes all in, in all directions. Yes. Yes. Right. And I feel like you're speaking to me as that professor who a student wrote yesterday and I haven't written back. So yes, we can, we all have things to work on and, and dealing with a lot in this moment. So something that you mentioned um, that I want to go back to, even though it's not on our, the questions that I sent you. Yeah. So um, I hope that's okay. Yeah. You talked about, 
this coming to um, accept, celebrate, and share the fact that you're first generation um, and, you know, going through college, you were low income, right? Yeah. And I think that's really important. I know for myself, I didn't even realize that I was first generation because I was, you know, I thought to myself, well, my, my parents did some schooling, mm-hmm. um, right. And not understanding sort of the various ways, um, that categorizes, you know, that you could be categorized as first generation. It doesn't have to be your, your parents didn't attend college ever. Yeah. They never stepped foot on a college campus. Like, And also, what does it mean to you, right, as well, like as an individual, how are you, how does that manifest in your experiences? Are they able to support you and help you? Do they understand what it means to be at, um, you know, a state flagship institution like UMass? So that resonated with me, Mm -hmm. as well as all the other identities that I have as well, and sharing those, right? So being married to a woman, um, being, you know, a, a Black person at a PWI, all of these identities, and the fact that you present yourself authentically um, and how you feel like that authentic presentation might impact students, I think is really helpful for faculty and staff to hear, as well as for students to hear what that process looks like. So can you share with with the audience just for a moment, um, do you remember that moment, that time of where you decided, okay, I, I'm going to share that I'm first generation. I'm going to talk about the fact that, you know, I am or I was low income going through through college. And if so, can you share that? Yeah, you know, part of it was, um, I think, it, part of it comes, you know, with being in anthropology. You know, my um, my focus in historic, my I was an historical archaeologist, and my mm-hmm. focus was on the development of social inequality. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm in classes where we're talking about you know, racism, we're talking about these things. And, you know, and it's interesting though, right? Because you would, you do get, you know, you, I would be in some spaces where people would be adopting identities that I knew were not full, you know, oh, you know, I know what it's like to be poor because I'm living, I'm, I'm eating, you know, top ramen for dinner. Right. And it's cause it's really, cause they're a college student. Right. And it's yeah. not like that. I, I'm like, no, that's as, as someone who grew up eating top ramen as my family's dinner, like that's not yeah. the same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, but really I have to say enough that it's, it was really when part of it was teaching and as mm-hmm. I became more in C, as a, of a senior graduate student, but the other part was after I got my PhD, because, you know, I, of, I often would hear like, oh, you're not like what I imagine a, a professor would be like, or a PhD. And, um, and so my friend, Lisa Modenos, who works for University Without Walls, we were talking about this. She was a, she's also a first generation student. And mm-hmm. we're like, you know, the great thing is, it actually doesn't matter if I don't map onto what your opinion of what a PhD holder is because I have a PhD, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to take that away. And, yeah. you know, and it is. Um, and, and so when I'm in any student space, when I introduce myself, I always, always, always start off by saying I was a first generation college student. I was a low income student. Oftentimes what I'll say is, and so my other low income students, you know, that means my family's broke. Right. Because because yes. low income is polite people talk because we can't talk yes. about class. You know, I thought I said my mom is, you know, an immigrant. My family went through some things when I was in college. I know that like life can get hard and yeah. I do it because it's for that one. I know that those things may not resonate with everybody and they may not even at a PWI resonate with most students, but they're going to resonate with a couple of them. And really, mm-hmm. those are the people I'm directing my comments to. Right. It's like that, like those three people in the room who are like thinking, no one understands this. Like no one gets what it means for me to be on this campus and like all yeah. the things that I'm asked to, to hold back. And um, and and 
in that, like, I find that that has actually gotten me a lot. Like students will come to me because they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, I think you understand or you kind of understand what it's like. Um, and, and then we just have those conversations. And, and so it was, it, it's something that I do all the time, all the yeah. time. Um, and it's, it's an important part of it because I think visibility, as you talked about, Neff, you know, the visibility, thank you for the chance of talking about the humanity of the people on campus. But I think it's, it's about bringing the fullness of who we are to, to yeah. these places. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So I want to talk a little bit about the recent work you've done to highlight the Asian, Asian American experience at UMass. Yeah. Um, in the past year and a half, we've seen this very public escalation of um, what's been longstanding, anti-Asian yeah. violence um, and hate um, rhetoric bias um, across the country and world, but specifically speaking to what's happening here in our country. Um, how has this impacted, this most recent public escalation impacted the way that you approach your work? You know, it's it's interesting because I um, it has and it hasn't. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it's caused a, a broadening, right? But I, yeah. you know, I I love my students, and I and I say this like sincerely, right? Like in the love is a verb kind of way, like not just I'm personally fond of them, but like yeah, like I need to show up for them, right? And mm -hmm. and I have lots of Asian students, right? And I'm an Asian woman, right? And so. Mm -hmm these things. Um, but it, you know, but often in the work that I do, um, it, I don't for, and so I'm focusing on first formation students, it's low income students, it's transfer students. Um, and it's students from racial populations that have historically been marginalized mm -hmm. in higher education. And, and there are problems with the way this is defined, but Asians as a whole have not been right now. There are a whole other dimensions that, that I nuance within that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There are whole, and so, you know, I end up, um, so, you know, I'll connect with Asian students through other things, but a big, so the idea for standing up for Asian and Asian American folks really came from my colleague, Stephen Fernandez in engineering. He's teaching a class this semester and his students were talking about how upset they were that the university was not paying attention and was not addressing this. And he, um, he uh, Erica Lynn Dawson had in computer science, he reached out to me, Erica and, um, uh, so the three of us and the three of us worked together to do black and STEM last summer. And so we're the three STEM colleges. And he said, I, you know, do you want to meet to talk about, I want to do something like our students are suffering. Right. And it's like, it's hard for them. And this is when, you know, again, I'm like, this is not a student size problem. This is not a student size problem. Yeah. And yeah. so what can we, and so we pulled together this this committee that then culminated in the standing up for Asian Asian American folks, and then hopefully ongoing conversations um, around around this, you know. But in terms of, you know, the or my orientation to the work has not changed, right? It is I'm constantly trying to think of, you know, who who is who is not being who who's not being paid attention to, who who am I missing, right? Who am I missing? Um, and, you know, I, I like to say that my job is to mind the gaps, right? Who are the people who are sort of falling below, you know, who are sort of falling in the cracks and then, you know, I need to, you know, pull them up. And, um, and, and it felt like at this time, you know, after the Atlanta shootings, I thought, you know, with everything that's going on, um, you know, as someone who is very concerned um, and very active um, and a strong support of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and anti-racism work in general, I just thought, you know, 
like this is the time like is like like my my people like here i need to be like my people generally is pretty broad like i identify as a woman of color right mm -hmm. um but this is why i'm going to really I, I need to really focus on my asian asian american students yeah right absolutely and, and but it also shows up in other ways too right where i talk uh, you know because i'm in these spaces so confronting anti-blackness in the Asian community and mm -hmm. anti-Asianness in like the black community, you know, like it's, these are all yeah. sort of things. So it's, um, it's exhausting enough is actually what it is. <laughs> it's, it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's important. Please. And, you know, I think it's really important and there's an element to which it is. Um, I'm trying to, I want to choose the word carefully. Um, it is like, it's the core of what the liberal arts model is about right that on a higher education like on a campus like the question is like who am i how do i fit into this world and how can i articulate like what my interests are with the needs of this world like that is really the core of what we're supposed to be doing and yeah. um and it's a, like one of the things i love about being on a campus and love about being at the university of massachusetts is like i'm constantly doing this work right i'm constantly saying how do i take my talents and my skills to meet the needs of this campus at any given time. And for that, it just felt like, you know, I am pretty organized. And so let's, yeah, like I just muscled my way in there. We had a great committee of people working on this, um, on this event, but it was, we pulled it off and we pulled off in just a few weeks. Uh, it was great. Oh, it was amazing. It was an amazing undertaking. And um, I appreciate you all for the work that you put into creating that space for our students and faculty and staff because others showed up as well. And it was important to have that space. Um, you, as you've been talking, I can't help but to recognize um, the intersections, right, of these identities yes. um, in the intersection of, in the uniqueness of the intersections, right, the uniqueness of being a first gen, being um, Asian, being a woman, being low income, and how that impacts, you know, your specific experiences, but also thinking about that with our students. And I think oftentimes when these events happen, like the violence that took place in Atlanta, um, you know, with the mostly Asian women, we tend to forget the nuance of the intersections and how that was very specific to the intersections of their identities, right? Of being um, perhaps low income, of um, perhaps being immigrants, perhaps being Asian, being women, like how does all of that impact? And specifically, how does that impact how our students are um, taking it in and digesting it, right, as individuals on our campus. Um, so I think I just, I don't have much more to say beyond that, if you do, please. I just couldn't help but to acknowledge it because it was just incredibly um, important to the story that you're telling and that you're sharing with us. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I thought, that I think a lot about when we talk about white privilege, right, mm -hmm. is white privilege is being given the option to not have to think about these things. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that um, I think higher education as a whole needs to do, right, is one of the things I like about being in an academic office is that I bring all these things and I say, this is an important part of the academic experience. This isn't just a social experience, right? So when these things are happening, when, you know, students, when our black and brown students are reading about how, you know, people are being shot, right? they carry that trauma into the classrooms, right? It's not like they can leave it at the door, right? They don't have that privilege. You know, when I woke up 
and you know was thinking about the the day after the Atlanta shootings, right? And I had to go teach. Like I entered into my classroom, my Zoom space, right? Still like profoundly upset and disturbed about this. Yeah. Um, and and it is, um, and I think part of the work that that we need to do that's so important enough about the work that you do and the work that I do in the College of Natural Sciences is to say, is to sort of move faculty. It's like, you know, yes, you might teach, you know, I'm gonna say X, I don't want anyone to feel like they're being picked on, but you know, maybe you teach X. But and yes, you can say these things out there and students shouldn't be paying attention, but they are, right? Yeah. Like they yeah. are, like they are, right. And it was yeah. um and 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 I think it's I think it's a really really important thing to do because these mm-hmm. these identities do intersect and they intersect for our students with and being a student and they yeah. all impact it right they're all in play and they're all in dialogue with one another. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're humans entering space together, and we cannot leave trauma, specifically trauma that just happened, right? The day of, the day before. Now we're walking into a classroom. We can't leave that trauma outside of the classroom space or outside of campus. We take it all around with us. So I think that's a very good point. So let's see, I, I, I always, again, as, as you're speaking, um, you're just triggering so many different thoughts and questions that I have. Um, but I do want you to talk a little bit about um, what are gonna be some of the biggest challenges for us currently, but also moving forward as educators to continue to do and nurture anti-racism um, work moving forward. Um, and I think you, I think we can speak to the moment because as we know, doing this work, there are challenges that we're dealing with in the moment. So perhaps starting there. Yeah, you know, I think it is, it is a big task. I, it is a big task, but I think we're up to it. I honestly, I think we're up to it, you know, and, um, and I think part of it has to do with you know, diversifying and thinking diversity broadly, right? Who is in the classrooms, right? Because, you know, one of the things I say to my students, right? Who often, you know, when I'm talking here about my students of color, my low-income students who can feel intimidated or unwelcome in spaces, right? One of the things I say to them is I say, you will discover, right? As someone who spent almost my entire adult life on a college campus, you will discover how incredibly ignorant, really smart people can be. And, and I say, and, and you will extend so much grace to people. And it's because you will realize it is because their life experience was so narrow. Yeah. Right. And it's not, I mean, it's, you know, those of us who work with, you know, these populations, like the movement away from sort of the deficit model, how do we make up for the things that students lack? Well, I'm like, they enter into spaces where they're being, they're surrounded by students and faculty who, um, who lack, right? They, they yeah. lack understanding the way the world works because the world is, is, is structured in a way that supports them, right? Uh-huh. And so I think in doing the work with the white faculty and white students, white grad students and postdocs, part of it is to say, this isn't an add-on, right? This is, if you wanna be a good scientist, if you wanna be a good anthropologist, if you wanna be a good political scientist, if you wanna be a good historian, I'm trying to hit all the colleges, right? If you want to be a good whatever, like you need to be oriented. Like this is something that is just as important to you as understanding. I'm not a science for the Pythagorean theorem. Like, you know, like it, you know, but you know, it is. This is as crucial. And so, I do think that part of this has to be built into the curriculum, right? It's yeah. not like there's a workshop you attend. It's a one-off thing. We're doing reading uh-huh. groups. All those things are important, but you build it into the curriculum, right? Because that's the way you signal what's important to your field, right? This yeah. is how we train. Absolutely. And then. Um, but I think 
So I think that's the big thing. And, but I, but the other thing is, you know, with my students of color and I'm, I'm here like specifically talking about like my black, my Latinx, my, um, my indigenous students um, and, and my Asian students, but you know, it's how do you stay the course? Like it is like, it is exhausting. It's hard. And one of the things that's been really hard, I think for the last year for me personally, and I think for my students as well is what's really highlighted is how we live in really different spheres. Yeah. Right. That there are people who can choose to not like, it's like, oh, this is too bad. I feel bad. And then they just go on. Right. And then there are those of us who are just swimming in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'm a, believer in the transformational power of education. Like I, you know, that we need to do these things and, and I want the students out doing those good work. I want them in those boardrooms, right? I want them doing, you know, I want students with these orientations in those labs and those boardrooms, which means they need to graduate. And yeah. so how do we get them to stay the course? And I think the way we get them to stay the course is we just, we just show up, right? I mean, I just, I believe in coalitions. I believe in community. And I think that yeah. if you know, you've got like your people, that you can do anything, right? And and I think one of the things that I love about my job is that there are some students, you know, for whom like I am considered like one of their people, right? And that's a that's a it's a wonderful thing, and um, yeah. and and I do it. It it makes me feel great, but I do it selfishly because I want them out there. Like I want them out there, right? Um, and uh, and and I want them out there, meaning like I want them post graduating, like I want them in, I want them to be doctors who have this right. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to be you know, scientists, I want them to be faculty at universities, you know, doing this good, this good work with their orientations, like with their good, good hearts. Um, and so that means that, yeah, I get to, and, and I get to be with them. And how awesome is that? It's amazing. So you alluded to, how do we keep the momentum going? Right? Like, how do, how do we keep pushing forward? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned a few times just the exhaustion of the students, faculty, staff, everyone that's deeply involved in work pushing towards social justice, um, you know, and inclusive excellence. How do, how do we keep this momentum going? So this, I'm going to share what I mentioned before. This is yes. a metaphor that my friend Becky Spencer, who's a psychology faculty, psychological and brain sciences faculty member said, she runs ultra marathons, right? Which is 50 miles, some crazy amount of running. Um, and I remember saying as a non-athlete, saying to Becky, like, how do you, like, what do you do for those hills? And Becky said, we don't run on hills. And like, when you hit a hill, like you walk, like you slow down. Like when it gets hard, you slow down. And I've shared this with so many inches, you know, you run again when it flattens out. And, um, and I've shared that with so many students and I've really taken that wisdom. And so what I think the thing about keeping the momentum is to say, it's important to keep going, right? And to not say I'm tired and so I'm not gonna do anything, but to say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm tired. What is it that I can do? Cause I don't wanna burn out. It's a marathon. Like we're, we're running those 50 miles, right? We're running 500 miles, right? But, um, so how do I, how can I keep kind of one foot in front of the other doing something? Um, and yes, maybe I, I would love to be sprinting up that hill, but if I sprint up that hill, I'm not finishing this race. Right. So, yeah. um, so I, I think the momentum is you do something like you have to do mm -hmm. something and it, and it doesn't have to be everything. Right. But it has to be something like that is like, that is my, my firm, firm belief. Like it's just pull back. And if it, even if it's something like 
we're going to have ice cream together, right? We're just going to do something that is light and fun, but reminds us that we actually love each other and we're in community with each other and we're with our people. And that just means that I can wake up and go teach class the next day, or you can go to your class or you can study for your chemistry exam. Then that's yeah. a tremendous amount of work, right? We'll, we can go march another day. Like today, we're going to eat ice cream and enjoy being together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. That is that is perfect. I love that metaphor. I also happen to love um, Dr. Spencer as well um, and, and know that she runs these ultra marathons. So I, I love using that metaphor for this work because as you said, it is absolutely a marathon. We are not going to solve these issues tomorrow or the day after, but with continued work and effort and, and energy from folks like you, as well as the many people doing this work across our campus, um, there is an end. Um, there is an end where we can we can say, you know, we've done the work to create a space that's inclusive to all folks and it's rooted in social justice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Zegenbein, um, for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you for hours, but we don't have hours. Um, and our <laughs> listeners don't have hours to listen yeah. to just our podcast. But thank you so much. It's been so insightful. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. This is a really wonderful conversation. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Dignity and Respect in Action. The semester may be coming to a close, but stay tuned as we have some very exciting pods lined up for this summer. If you enjoyed today's discussion, make sure to hit subscribe so that you will never miss an episode. I'm your host, Dr. Neff Walker, and we'll see you next time.